Welcome to the We Are SE podcast. This is Eric McKinney joined by Greg Katz and Daryl Rideau. And the season is over and it feels like we're just getting into the stuff that we have to talk about here. It's going to be kind of a, another off season full of, you know, speculation and, and what's going to happen with this USC program. Uh, another season without a lot of definitive answers given on when is this sort of going to start the uptick? Now, now you went from five and seven last year, certainly needed to go to a bowl game this year, that there's eight wins. And I understand on paper, you can say that's an improvement for the, the 2019 season is an improvement on the 2018 season. Greg, what's going to be the, the taste left in a lot of people's mouths is a 25 point loss to an Iowa team in a, a San Diego bowl game where USC is not having to, to travel a great distance or kind of play out of their element, a 25 point loss to an Iowa team that was at best the, the sixth best team uh, in the big 10 this year. And a team where when the best big 10 teams played them, they, they beat them and an Iowa team that did not score a lot of points throughout the season, put up 49 total against USC. And if you want to take away the pick six and you want to take away the kick return, still put up 35 points against the USC defense. And when we talked over the last six games about finishing strong and fight on to victory and some of those kind of buzzwords that, that head coach Clay Helton started to use, this was none of those things. Well, let's go back a couple of days to that Iowa game. Your biggest takeaways from that game. I thought if you were going to do a presentation on why USC and where USC football is today, you would have used the Holiday Bowl as the classic evidence, example, etc. You know, it's time to take the gloves off. We all try to be very careful and, 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 and uh, feeling of emotion for the people that are running the program from the top the president of the school down to the head coach through the players but i don't think there's any question that that was a complete complete examination mri of usc football ending the fourth year of clay helton as the head coach it is a calamity it is a catastrophe it is an embarrassment it is a joke uh it's the worst kept secret that usc football is a mess and they had an opportunity to clean up that mess when Carol Folk, the president of the school, came on board and then quickly fired Lynn Swan, which brought a lot of hope. Whoa, she's going to do what she's going to do. And then brought in Mike Bone. And at that particular moment was the moment of truth for administration. There's nothing about a head football coach that doesn't start from the beginning and at the top. The problem is, is I just don't think that Carol Folt knows what USC football is. She's never been a part of a traditional blue blood legendary program. And to her, she's got so many problems that, at the university that she lost sight of the one thing that brings this university together, and that's USC football. You know, I let, I, I, we talked off the air on this, and I'm going to bring it up immediately. There seems to me to have been a knee-jerk response to the first signing period. 
had USC not felt compelled to back Clay Helton, the question that arises is, and I'll ask you and I'll ask Daryl, if they had not given the vote of confidence, in other words, we're pleased to announce the return of Clay Helton, if they had waited on Helton until after the bowl game, would he be the coach of USC today? I believe, a, go ahead. I believe he would not be the coach of USC today because they let this early signing period get in the way of, of real change and progress. They panicked. There was a lot of speculation where it kind of in the press box from various media members, uh, you know, when, when we kind of all chat uh, during the game, after the game. Could, could you still make that decision now, even after that statement? Was this the kind of performance that sort of is a, another massive data point that you can use where when you say we love the way you, we finished and we love the way, you know, the, this program is, is headed. Can you use that now this game to just say, look, all of that was clearly kind of premature and, and maybe wishful thinking with that. Cause that, that was sort of my thought when you look at those last six games, yes, you went five and one compared to three and three in the first half of the season, there is no question that the last six games of the regular season were just unimaginably easier than the first six games. When you talk about playing teams uh, without their starting quarterbacks, with quarterbacks getting hurt, you know, mid-game, the one team you played that was sort of full strength at their best was Oregon, and Oregon came into the Coliseum and did whatever they wanted over more than a, a half of football and, and just ran away with that against USC. And, and so now when you're matched up against another good, again, good, not great Iowa team, they sort of did whatever they wanted on both sides of the ball too. And, and so that becomes something where, yes, you went five and one over the final six games of the season, but Daryl, I'm, I'm going to, take Greg's question and kind of double up on a question to you. Were they really playing better? Did, did you see sort of improvement over that second half to, to really sort of stand up and say, yeah, this is going the right way. And again, taking that sort of five and one uh, record into account with that. You know, co coach used the term of calamity. Um, I, I would, I would expound upon that with another phrase, uh, force majeure, which is a French phrase that is oftentimes used in contractual agreements where someone cannot fulfill their obligation. And this was one of those circumstances where everything lined up for um, Mike Bone, the athletic director, to come in and say, whoa, maybe we made a knee-jerk decision. Maybe it was a knee-jerk reaction for us to give him a vote of confidence when clearly Clay Helton and this, this program had two or three weeks to prepare and what performance did they display on a national platform? Well, you give up more points in any bowl game since 1948. You finish the season giving up on average 29 points a game and over 400 yards a game. So they had every right to part ways with defensive coordinator Clancy Pendergast. But to answer your question specifically, Eric, when you go into the heart and the meat of the Pac-12 um, season, oftentimes you're going up against teams that you are quite familiar with. 
And what we've seen over time is when Clay Helton is familiar with, uh, with a, um, a, uh, a team, it kind of neutralizes things and the players seem to perform up to their level of capability. But when he has to game plan against an unfamiliar foe who he's not quite certain as to how they're going to react, what do we see? We see a situation such as Iowa, maybe perhaps not to the extreme of that, uh, where Iowa puts up unconventionally, well, 35 points from an offense that is anemic um, for, for Iowa standards, and two unconventional touchdowns. You see an explosion like that in a team that just looks in such disarray that they don't have any responses. And that, to me, speaks to leadership. So I am very surprised that while, well, let me back up. I'm not surprised that changes had to be made at, um, with Clancy Pendergast, not, his contract not being extended or renewed for 2020, and that USC elected to part ways with John Baxter, special teams coach. However, I am surprised that Clay Helton would feel so confident as to have a post-game press conference and speak as though that this program is trending in the right direction, when in reality, it is a mess. And if he is too blind to see that, or if he doesn't want to admit that publicly, then don't wait for a force majeure situation where there's so much pressure around this program because of a, of a singular performance in an Iowa game when you have plenty of opportunity to make these uh, changes well before the bowl game led up, just so that you can at least demonstrate to a fan base that is seeking some type of clarity from leadership that you do, Clay Helton, have a sense of what direction you want to take this program instead of it always feeling as though it's a knee-jerk decision because the powers above you from the athletic director trickling down to you is forcing you to make changes that you don't seem comfortable to make on your own knowing the state of your own program. And that is definitely – there's a couple issues that I think are, are really big – big issues that as a head coach uh, you, you need to be able to, I guess, ha have a better success rate with. And that's so far we've seen him make a couple decisions at the three coordinator positions. And that's, you know, go, going with sort of T. Martin's offense for a little while or however he wanted to kind of implement that with, with Clay Helton as, as head coach as well. And then really going to bat for Clancy Pendergast and, and John Baxter. Now that's in two years having to come to terms with the fact that those were all really big misses at really big, important positions. And so to allow him to, to constantly try to sort of second guess and make up for decisions that now are sort of being proven to have been the wrong decision at that time, that becomes something where, like you said, you have to stop letting it be where, okay, well, now we'll have to fix that. Now we'll have to fix that. You've got to get ahead of it and make the right decision. He's going to have another opportunity with Clancy Pendergast being out and John Baxter being out, another opportunity to, again, get ahead and do that. Uh, you know, there, there's clearly with Graham Harrell coming in on the offense this year, the offense was the, the bright point of this season, uh, the, the bright spot of it. But 
there's still, you know, there's still some issues there. Is that like the, the USC offense that everybody wants to see? Is it a, a good enough offense where it can carry you and really set the tone for the game? Or is it one that's going to sort of score a smattering of points here and there and not really be anything that you can, can truly rely on? I think kind of jury's still out on that. Anytime you get uh, two quarterbacks hurt for sort of significant portions of a season that's something that that's got to be figured out but uh and then the other thing I thought I I think that's interesting and something again that Clay Helton is really going to have to figure out moving forward is that we heard a lot all year especially in the big games this team felt really prepared Uh, and and Greg I know we heard right before going into the game they USC felt like they were going to bring it against Iowa they felt really positive about preparation and and how they were going to perform and and it feels like this team going into games and and Daryl I want to I want to direct this to you because you you know you having played at USC and and being close to some of the players here right now you talk to them a lot and it does feel like when they come out of games they're sort of shell-shocked they they thought they had the right answers to the test and in these big games that they get sort of whipped by these other teams it's kind of like, well, what happened there? And that's something I think really has to get figured out because it, it's one thing to go against right. Arizona and against a, a Cal team without a starting quarterback and kind of run all over them. But when you feel like you have a, a team like Iowa figured out and you feel really good going into the game and this happens, those are that's the, the big question for me outside of even – you know, how much do you do you tackle and, and how good are your individual players? That's sort of a, a program thing for me that, again, do you – what's your sort of experience having talked to guys this year and then how do you see that maybe being able to be fixed going forward? Well, I'll go back to the highlight years of my collegiate career uh, in 2001 when Pete Carroll assembled arguably one of the greatest staffs of um, ever to – outside of probably some John McKay staffs uh, ever to be assembled at USC. We had the likes of a, uh, of a linebacker coach in Nick Holt, uh, Ed Ogeron, who's playing in the national championship, <laughs> uh, was our defensive line coach. We had at times um, Greg Burns, Dwayne Walker, uh, running and manning the secondary. But more importantly, the reason why I bring up these names is because at one point or another, many of the names that I just referenced went on to become head coaches for at least a period or a stint. And so when you have that kind of leadership in your meeting rooms, you solicit feedback from those coaches. And when you prepare for a bowl game, there was never one time that I ever felt unprepared. And in fact, our coaching staff were so thorough about how they evaluated not only the opponent, And for me in 2003, the Orange Bowl of 2003, coming off a 2002 season when Carson Palmer won the Heisman Trophy, I played in the secondary with Troy Palomalu. We played the likes of Kurt Ferentz, Iowa Hawkeyes. So I am ideal or the perfect person to be asking this question to, because not only did we evaluate their game plan, but we also went back to look at the things that we did well, look at some of the things we didn't do so well, and look at some of the things that perhaps we got away with because of opportunity kind of favored us with either a turnover or something to that extent. And Pete Carroll hammered the uh, and emphasized the fundamentals of going back and cleaning up what we did well and anticipating 
how teams may counteract um, the, the, the coverages that we ran versus certain formations so that in any scenario or situation, we were never unprepared. And, and it, we were so prepared and so thoroughly mentally um, prepared to, to embrace any challenge against Iowa that I remember their starting quarterback, Brad Banks, in the middle of a series, he was going through his cadence. And as he was going through his cadence, they stuck to their tendencies. They sent a guy in motion. I look back at our safeties. Our safeties called a check, and we adjusted. And then we started pointing to the hole that he was going to run in, from the corners to the linebackers to the D-line. We all knew exactly where they intended on making the, um, their adjustments and, and, um, and what play they were called, to the extent that Kirk Ferret said, what are you doing? Just run the play, Banks. He turns back to Ferris and says, but they know what we're running. It's like they're calling our plays. So he calls a timeout. And sure enough, they had to readjust. But that just spoke to when you really do, when you really are prepared, your team can play free and with confidence. And to a man, when I speak to the existing players and players that have recently left this program, the confidence that the coaches want to exude in terms of their game plan after the first 15 to 20 scripted plays that the defense runs, there's a puzzled look when you go to a position coach or your coordinator and you're expecting to hear about an adjustment and nothing is, is um, reciprocated back to you to the point where you have to go out and try to freelance because quite frankly, what they are calling just isn't enough and you feel like you're always behind. And, and, and when players feel like that, there's a distrust that, that, that quickly matriculates through the locker room and it shows and reflects on the field when you see guys out of position. I, I mean, clearly a, a lot of positivity here. I mean, that's, uh, again, at the end of this year, I, I think it's one of those things where, again, it, it's eight wins, but there are still some foundational level issues that need to be addressed. And, and moving forward, they're, they're going to take a shot at it. Uh, Clay Helton announced this weekend, Clancy Pendergast, the offensive coordinator, and special teams coach John Baxter, they will not be back uh, with the program in 2020. And, and Greg, I'm going to just kind of roll through some numbers here, uh, defensive and, and special teams. And again, I don't think anybody really needs this picture painted for them but the the numbers for USC's defense third down conversion percentage 82nd in the country first downs allowed 122nd in the country passes intercepted 74th uh, passing yards per game allowed 97th red zone defense 91st rushing defense 72nd scoring defense 78th it's just over and over turnovers gained 80th there's just nothing that was this is something they do really well. The, the sack numbers, I believe they were in the top five uh, nationally in, in terms of sacks per game. Um, but, it, but boy, it just felt like defensively it was like, please somebody just sort of tip a ball up in the air. Maybe someone can intercept it. It felt like maybe when, when the offense, when wide receivers drop the ball, that was kind of the, the best defensive play. Um, and there's talent. There's talent on this USC defense, uh, Greg, just kind of turning over to you, thoughts on, thoughts on, on the move away from Clancy Pendergast and then 
open it up to you first and then and then Daryl also on maybe where USC can go from here in your minds, maybe, maybe the, the big positive step that they could take defensively. Well, first of all, you're going to have a real conflict of personalities uh, if they pick the right person. Uh, you know, Clancy Pendergast is a gentleman. He's a nice guy. He has a way of doing things his way. Uh, but would Clancy be the type of person that would make me feel like I wanted to go out and knock somebody's head off, deplete them, if you will? No. I think the other coaches uh, feed off of that. Uh, you know, I fantasize in my mind if they actually did hire Jack Del Rio. How would that change the defense? Well, first of all, Jack is a legendary player at USC. He gets it. He understands it. He was successful as a head coach in the NFL. Uh, whatever happened with the Raiders was because the Raiders wanted John Gruden. It wasn't anything that Jack Del Rio didn't do because I tell you, he resurrected the Raiders. So I know that if they pick Jack Del Rio, USC is going to hit. And a lot. And, and to me, what happens on defense affects offense. Okay, this is a counterculture situation. If they picked a Jack Del Rio, I'd be the first one to stand up, applaud. I'd love to write a positive column. I'm sick of writing what I don't consider negative columns, but realistic columns. Uh, but my concern is, does Jack's intensity, his expectations, is it going to be a buy-in on the offensive side? Is it going to be a buy-in by Clay Helton? Uh, in order for a defensive change to happen, first of all, the question, and I, I'm going to ramble a little bit here, so pre-warning, uh, you know, you're getting paid $3.5 million to be the head coach at the University of Southern California, arguably one of the top five all-time programs in college football. You should be a top coach. You're gen you're, you're your athletic director should not be the general manager of the USC football franchise, as I wrote in today's uh, IMHO Sunday. You know, I would be insulted personally if, the, if I was told who I'm going to hire when I'm making $3.5 First of all, just to give a little bit of background here, I think Harold, uh, excuse me, I think that Helton should have been fired after this uh, game. You brought it up, Eric, you know, it, is it too late to fire him? No. Uh, is the is the February uh, signing period going to be another disaster? Probably. So you have nothing to lose. But getting back to the question, defensively, it's an attitude. Daryl knows this as well as anybody that has played at USC. It is a bunch of 11 angry guys that know what they're doing, that have confidence in a coaching staff. You bring in Cl Chris Claiborne, I don't care whether he's a, a grad assistant or he's you're bringing in guys that know how to play the game at a level that USC is supposed to play at. And this has to be addressed through Helton. Okay. Helton by nature is a nice man. He is not somebody who's going to scare you when he walks into the locker room. You know, he's, he's, he's uncle clay, but until they have an attitude, a culture change to me, the only way they can have a culture change, true culture change, the change the head coach. I I'm, I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. But if you brought in Jack Del Rio, if you brought in uh, even um, for the collegiate level, <laughs> you know, Joe Barry, excuse me, Joe Barry or Chris Richard, people that know the expectations, that live the expectations, okay, 
And I would hope that whoever the head coach is brings in a style of ball that is so fundamental to what Gerald talked about uh, that you know when the defense takes the field, you know, that they're going to shut people down. They're going to hurt people. You know, Kevin Bruce, who writes that beautiful column for us, defensively speaking, told me one time at a, a dinner in Santa Monica, he said, you know what, Greg, I just love to hurt people. Because when we played Notre Dame, it was the best. He goes, I, he said, I had no problem sticking my fist under somebody's chin strap that was running the ball. He says, it's a man's game. I make no apologies to it. And if you ask somebody today, do they have a Kevin Bruce type of player on defense? I'm not so sure a name would come right to your head. Maybe uh, Talanoa Hufunga uh, plays the game at a level that's, uh, you know, getting close to an All-America level in the future. But, you know, <laughs> at this point, the defense is going to have to set the tone of attitude. If Clay Elton has to be the head coach, then somebody's got to set the tone. I know that Jack Del Rio would not accept the attitude of what's going on right now. I, I have not talked to Jack, but, you know, the bottom line is, you know guys and you know their attitudes. He's not going to put up with anything, and he's going to voice his opinion. And I don't know whether uh, Clay Helton wants to hear that. I'm done. Daryl, you – Defense near and dear to your heart. You've been right. sort of uh, outspoken about kind of what Clancy Pendergast has, has asked the defense to do and, and adjustments and that sort of thing. Uh, wh where would you like to see this defense going? And specifically, I, I'd like you to get into a little bit of what what is this defense in, in terms of the personnel, who USC has, you know, coming back next year and the year after, how would you sort of, frame this defense I guess what where you see USC's strengths lie and and what uh what a coach should be looking to do when they come in and take over this USC group well, well when you think about the direction that USC uh now has the opportunity of going uh having separated itself uh from Clancy Pendergast you almost have to think about what happened just less than 12 months before today Clay Helton invested a ton of money and resources in bringing in a new secondary coach, Greg Burns. And he saw immediate gratification in a room of talented defensive backs playing a lot better. Okay. And then on the defensive line, he brought in um, Coach Chad Kahaha. Kahaha. I think I'm screwing up the name. We call him Coach K. Okay. The defensive line coach. So let's just assume that. Clay has an affection for these coaches and wants to keep them on his staff. Well, now that's going to limit anyone that he re interviews for a defensive um, coordinator position that may have their own philosophy in mind and want to go in a certain direction. So with that being said, uh, we know that USC features five defensive backs Three down linemen, and oftentimes it's it's really weird. Is it four down linemen, or is it it's a hybrid, right? I mean, in terms of there's really only two traditional linebackers, and sure. then it, it, it kind of interchanges. So let's call it the three three five, uh, such as what BYU runs, Hawaii runs it, and Arizona, uh, San Diego State. Okay, so when I was going through and just kind of researching in anticipation of a change like this, and I was thinking based on USC's personnel what it currently has, and what it's brought in as of the first signing day, a ton of defensive linemen with, with, uh, with as, as many as 11 signed linemen between offense and defense. 
one would think or one would argue that, okay, is USC going to consider going back to a 3-4? But based on what it has as personnel, let's assume that it wants to stick with this three-down lineman uh, and go back to three line, uh, linebackers and then, but still feature a nickel position because they like the development of Max Williams, who will be returning as the nickel and could be an upgrade from the play of Greg Johnson. Okay, keep that in mind. The ideal defensive coordinator that comes to mind, you have to look no further than where they just played their last bowl game in San Diego. A guy by the name of Zach Arnett. Now, he's not a household name. But over the last five years, he spent his time at um, San Diego State with the last two years as defensive coordinator. He's done nothing more than put San Diego State defensively in the top five in terms of, of um, overall, um, overall defense. And within the last five years since he's been on staff in FBS, they've, they've been, they were first in interceptions with 87 sixth in the country and uh, over that span of time in rush defense at 121 yards a game, sixth defensively for total yardage for 316 yards, and then ninth in scoring defense. So the point that I'm making is he runs a similar style. It's a 3-3-5, but he seems to be getting more poke out of that, that fruit. He gets more out of his players than USC does with better talent. So if you brought someone like him, who, according to USA Today, is only making about just under $200,000 a year. And if he maxes out his incentives, that's $50,000 more that he's eligible for. So at $250,000, you give him a bump up to, let's say, $650,000, which is about the average for a defensive coordinator. That's a 300% increase in his pay, two, two hours away from where he's currently residing. And you can keep your, uh, your current defensive staff on board and allow him to maybe supplement one or two different people, but you can still run the same system, but perhaps inject a philosophy and attention to details that could get the most out. Because when you think about the development of the two safeties in Talanoa Hufanga and Isaiah Palomoa, Palomoa, who is returning, they're getting better as they get healthier. So you know the, your core, your nucleus, the chemistry between the two safeties is where you want it to be. And there is about a rotation of four corners that are young, all now have gained a certain amount of experience. And Eliza Griffin, Isaac Taylor Stewart, and if you think about Chris Steele, focusing on those three, three who played the most or had the most production. You love what you see. Next year, you're gonna get a Jordan Iasefa coming off of an injury, but has a lot of experience, uh, replaced in, in his early years, uh, Porter Gustin, and had production coming off as an edge rusher. But you put him in the middle of a defense, as smart as he is uh, to adjust, you now have a, a more traditional style of Mike linebacker. And when you think about the core of USC strength, it's their de interior defensive line and what, and what they bring to the table. Um, an, a second year with a full offseason for Drake Jackson and what the promise that he brings to the table. You like the nucleus of this defense, and you just, one, one begs to argue. If you take a similar system, but with a coordinator who gets more out of his defense, what would that look like? Well, let's assume that Clay wants to make a bigger splash, and Zach Arnett isn't quite the person that, that, uh, that resonates with him uh, from San Diego State. Then look no further than Ole Miss. 
Ole Miss just replaced their uh, their head coach with with uh, Lane Kiffin, Mike McIntyre. Where does that name ring a bell, uh, Coach? Remember, Mac Mike McIntyre was the head coach at Colorado, who was um, defensive coordinator last year for Ole Miss, and is somewhat of a lame duck. It's still undetermined if Lane Kiffin is going to bring him back. But what does that bring you? It now brings you a coach that has humility, who is who's willing to come back, perhaps willing to come back into the Pac-12, run a defense. But from, from Clay Helton's perspective, if you're turning the reins over to Graham Harrell offensively, and you bring someone in like Mac, uh, Mike McIntyre, who in 2016 was, uh, you know, coach of the year. <laughs> you now have someone who is going to run your system on the defensive side and allow Clay Helton to just be the CEO and manage in-game adjustments, but be able to solicit adult feedback in a room when it comes to game time preparation. Aside from those two, another name that comes to mind. You think about who USC played earlier in the year at Fresno State. Jeff Te uh, when Jeff Tedford resigns, his defensive coordinator, Burke Watts. Why do I bring him up? Well, yeah, Fresno State struggled in particular in 2019. But when you think about the production that Burt Watts, as a defensive coordinator from Fresno State, got in 2018 when perhaps he had better talent on the defensive side to work with, they were number one in FBS in red zone defense. Uh, third in scoring defense, pass interceptions, uh, they were fourth. And then team pass and efficiency, they were fifth. And their overall turnover margin was ninth in FBS in 2018. So once again, we're talking about uh, undervalued, no-name guys who we may not know, but everybody in the country plays some form of this spread option um, off, uh, offense. So it is critical that you have a coach that understands how to game plan against the likes of an Oregon and the likes of a Washington State uh, who runs the, the true air raid. But if we wanted, again, an even bigger splash, Coach, you talked about Chris Richard, the passion that he brings. If, um, if Dallas goes in a different direction and they don't bring back Jason Garrett, then perhaps Chris Richard is a lame duck. Think about bringing him back home. He's the heart and soul. He went to school uh, at Sarah, played in the secondary with me, or I should say I played in the secondary with him, being that he's older, graduated in 2001. Uh, he would be perfect and ideal. Pete Carroll brought him back as a graduate assistant and elevated him to uh, a position coach. And when Pete Carroll left to go to Seattle, Chris Richard followed, and we know where the story leads now. He's co-defensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys. If Chris elected to come back to the collegiate level, he would be an ideal fit, someone that can command the attention, get the most out of the second, uh, out of the, the defense, but not, um, but be willing to work with the existing staff as he starts to round out his own. But for me, the um, if if I was looking for a dark horse, no pun intended. But if I was looking for a dark horse, someone who had previous head coaching experience that also can recruit in the SEC and that commands the attention of young men, despite not having the success as a head coach, I would look no further than former Texas and um, University of Central Florida uh, former head coach, Charlie Strong. Can you imagine him, the intensity that he would bring? to be on a coaching staff here at USC to, to um, resuscitate, so to speak, his coaching career and turn this defense around. 
it wouldn't take long for him to not only get head coaching consideration at the collegiate level, but perhaps even at the pro level, if you're able to turn around a blue blood program like USC and also reach deep into Florida, where it's a hotbed for recruits and in Texas, and be able to snatch out some key talent. For me, that would be my top five wish list. There was um, another who I would love to have thrown on there out of Appalachian State. His name was Brian Brown. But guess what? Somebody smarter than us thought of the same thing, and Louisville picked him up. He was making less than $150,000 a year. They gave him $650,000. He couldn't start the engine fast enough to leave Appalachian State. And during his time there, much like I talked about San Diego State, Eric and Coach, he had the same type of turnaround production um, with, with their defense, putting, getting them in the top 25 uh, nationwide recognition. He's now at Louisville. I'm curious to see what they do next season. But for me, the two guys that really stand out to me would be a Charlie Strong if you're looking for a splash, or really, I think he should go up the street and pick up Arnett, Zach Arnett from San Diego State. 